In a world where there are facts and alternative facts, what does it mean to see clearly? In a world where opinion and perception are increasingly replacing news and reality, what does it mean to see clearly? In a world where truth is relative and those in power rewrite the rules for their own convenience, what does it mean to see clearly? Consider these news headlines from a few years ago. San Francisco judge won't halt marriages. Judge calls gay weddings illegal but doesn't stop them. Judge urges halt to same-sex marriage. Green light for San Francisco gay wedding spree. California judges delay gay marriage ruling. Here's the thing. All of those headlines were written about the same exact court case. When a single event can trigger multiple stories with headlines that emphasize different elements and different interpretations of what occurred, what does it mean to see clearly. And it's not a new phenomenon. It's been going on for thousands of years. In fact, it's exactly what happened when Jesus healed a man who was born blind. It's a story that we find in the ninth chapter of John's Gospel. It's a little long, but I'd actually like us to read the entire thing together. Because there's different traps that we'll see the characters fall into which prevent them from seeing clearly. So we're just going to have a little bit of a story time together. And so John chapter 9, if you want to turn to it and follow along, or you can follow along on the screen. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed And he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, but others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, The man they called Jesus. He made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went. And washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought him to the Pharisees. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how could a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then he turned again to the blind man. 
What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, they answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That it was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? So they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple? We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person that does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Okay, so this is a big story. And in Jerusalem, in fact, this would have been breaking news. And so let's review the characters that we find in the story. We have Jesus, we have the disciples, we have the blind man, we have his neighbors, We have the Pharisees, and we have his parents. How would the headlines from this story read if they had been told from some of these different people's perspectives? Disciples Weekly probably would have sent question of the day, who sinned, the man or his parents? Pharisee today would have said, man who claims he was healed is thrown out of the temple for lying. Jerusalem Inquirer, A man who begs outside of the temple for 30 years, you'll never believe what he is doing now. Exclusive before and after photos inside. In BuzzFeed, try this one simple trick for better vision. (laughs) Do-it-yourself mud mask. 20 other life hacks from Jesus. When a single event 
can trigger multiple stories with headlines that emphasize different elements and different interpretations of what occurred. What does it mean to see clearly? And is it possible that a man who was born blind is the only person in the story who actually saw things clearly? So let's walk back through the story and take a look at each of these characters, each of their responses to what happened, to see the different vision traps that they fell into that prevented them from seeing the situation clearly. So the story begins with Jesus and his disciples. They're walking down the road. It's not perfectly clear where they're coming from and where they're going to. And there's not really complete agreement among scholars about it. But it was the Sabbath, the story tells us. And they were most likely either coming from the temple or they were at least somewhere in the vicinity of the temple in Jerusalem. And as they're leaving the temple or as they're walking around, they come across a blind man. And beggars were known to congregate around the temple, hoping to rely on the charity of those who were going to worship to take care of them. And so as they go along, they come across this blind man. But this blind man was a little bit different because this man had been blind from birth. He hadn't become blind, and because he hadn't become blind, but he was blind for birth, he was sort of a theological puzzle for the disciples. And what we see is their interest in him was based on this puzzle. It wasn't based on any sort of compassion that they had for a situation. The disciples were looking for knowledge. They wanted their teacher to give them an answer to their question, and then they just wanted to move on because they really had no interest in the person. And based on their understanding of the law and the common teaching in the temple at the time, they only saw two possible causes for this man's blindness. It either had to be his own sin or it had to be his parents' sin. Any other option that they could have considered may have somehow put the blame on God. And they couldn't possibly put the blame on God. And so their cultural norms and religious teaching had limited the possibilities that they were willing to consider for the cause of the man's blindness. And so instead of asking an open-ended question, instead of searching for truth, they framed the question as either A or B. How often does the same thing happen to us? How often does the way we ask questions or the way questions are asked of us frame the possibilities that we consider and limit our actual search for truth? So I happen to eat at the Randolph Diner fairly often. It's sort of my office outside of the church. And whenever I go to the Randolph Diner with somebody who hasn't been there before, they'll typically say, oh, well, what's good? Say, I don't know, what do you like? And the waitress will come and hand us menus, and I leave my menu on the table, and they say, well, are you going to look at the menu? And I say, no, I'm not going to look at the menu. Well, why not? How are you going to know what to order? Say, I'm not going to be limited by the menu. This is a good diner. I'm just going to tell them what I want. And they're going to bring it to me. And it's a good diner. Consistently, I just tell them what I want. 
and they bring it to me. But often we get constrained by what somebody puts on the piece of paper. And we think that truth can only be found by what someone tells us or the options for truth. When the possibilities are limited by the questions that are asked, then truth gets to be framed by the people who are asking the questions. And the, dis- the disciples' vision had been limited by their religious system and their cultural teachers. They're kind of like a horse that's wearing blinders. They only see this part of the world that's in front of them. And what Christ is about to do is try and take their blinders off and help them see a much bigger picture, opening their eyes to a much bigger world. The disciples ask Jesus, well, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Christ's response is, you guys are asking the wrong question. Sin may have been the cause, but sin doesn't invariably have to be the cause. And either way, the cause is not really what's important here. See, the disciples, they were looking back. They were looking for a cause. They were looking for somebody to blame. But Jesus, he was looking forward. He was looking for purpose. Their limited scope of vision was keeping them from seeing God's bigger purpose. Their limited scope of vision was keeping them from asking the right questions. Was it him or his parents? Was it A or was it B? And Christ says it has nothing to do with him or his parents. It was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's not A or B. It's not even C. The disciples saw a theological puzzle. They were looking for knowledge and understanding, but Christ, he was looking for purpose and opportunity. The disciples said, how did he get that way? And Christ answered, how can we help him? And this is the key. It's the difference between he and we. The disciples were asking, how did he? And Christ reframes the conversation to say, what can we? And it's easy for us to fall into that trap. It's so easy for us to look around ourselves at the situations and to look at others with blame and shame. It's so easy to look at the situations that we come across with curiosity, but no compassion. We seek knowledge about what's going on, but Christ wants us to take action about what's going on. So we walk along and through our lives, looking at ourselves, looking at our families, looking at our communities, So we walk along the roads of everyday life. Are we asking the right questions? So we walk along and see the poor single parent, the person addicted to opioids, someone in a wheelchair or sick with cancer, the kid who's failing out of school, the day laborer who doesn't speak English, the absentee parent working 100 hours a week to get ahead, What questions are we asking? 
Are we asking whose fault is it? Or are we asking how can I help? Do we look at the people that we encounter in our lives as an opportunity to display the works of God when we care for them? Are we looking for opportunities to do God's work? If we want to see God's purposes and see God's plan clearly, then we need to take our blinders off. And we need to start asking better questions. We need to start asking we questions instead of he questions. We need to stop being so concerned about what the causes of the situations are and instead start looking for the purposes and the opportunities that the situations present us to act. The disciples were simply looking for something to talk about, something to pass the time as they walked along the road, and this man was interesting to them. But Christ was looking for an opportunity to get involved. So Christ approaches the man. I wonder what the blind man was thinking at this point. Was he listening to what was going on around him? Did he recognize that he was being used as some sort of object lesson in the narrative? Or had he gotten so used to people walking by and talking about him that he had just tuned everything out? So Christ approaches the man with care and compassion and love. And what does he do in care and compassion and love? He makes it worse. He makes him dirty. No, you say he was healing him. Really? I bet the blind man didn't feel like he was being healed. He never asked for healing. Christ never told him he was going to heal him. He just comes over and puts mud on his eyes. Now he's blind and he's dirty. Hard enough to get charity when you're just blind. But now you're just a blind, dirty beggar. The blind man's begging, he's not asking for healing. He's asking for a handout. And what we see is that the blind man, too, was asking the wrong questions. He's asking for help, but not necessarily the best kind of help. In many ways, he's just like the disciples. He's reframed his world. He's reframed his requests based on his experiences. And he's limited the the possibilities of what help really means. And so Christ approaches him with care and compassion and love. But care and compassion and love don't always give you what you want. Care and compassion and love give you what you need. And this is where we tend to get care and compassion and love all wrong. We say, if you love me, if you care about me, you will do what I want. If you're listening to me, you will do what I'm asking you to do. If you don't, it means you don't care. It means you're not listening. It means you don't love me. The man was asking for a handout. And what did Christ do? He makes it even harder for him to get a handout. 
He makes it even harder for him to get what he's asking for. He makes it even harder for him to get what he has defined for himself as care and compassion and love by putting mud on his eyes. Thanks for nothing, buddy. But sometimes things have to get worse. Sometimes things need to get a little dirtier and messier if they're going to get better. See, we want quick fixes. We want the easy solutions. We don't want to have to do the hard work. But sometimes getting better means doing the hard work. Why did Christ put mud in his eyes? Because the man had to recognize that he was dirty before he could become clean. We have to recognize that we are dirty before we can get clean too. The man couldn't see his filth, so he needed to be able to feel his filth. And so Christ puts mud on his eyes. He touches him so he can feel the filth. And now that he feels it, He's ready to accept the solution that Christ is offering him. Have we accepted the solution that Christ has offered us for our dirtiness? Okay, so we've covered the disciples. We've started to talk about the blind man. We're going to come back to him a little later. But first, there's some other characters in the story that we need to get to. Other characters whose vision has been blinded by the questions that they've been asking and the questions that they're being asked by others. So the blind man goes, he follows Jesus' instructions, and he goes to the pool and he washes, and the guy can see. And he goes home, and you would think all of his neighbors and his families and his friends would be super excited. I'd be pretty excited, like some guy I've known my whole life can't see, comes home and can see. It's like time for a party. But that's not what happens. No one really seems too excited for the blind man. He gets peppered with questions, peppered with doubt. Is is this the guy who was blind? Yeah, it it looks like him, but no, it, it can't be him. No, not him. Really? Is it him? Yeah, guys, it's me. I'm right here. I was him. I was blind, but now I see. Wow, what happened to you? And in the midst of all of these questions and doubts that he's faced with, he just sticks with the facts. He says, I don't know, this man they call Jesus, he made some mud, he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and I washed, and I can see. But this couldn't be. The neighbors couldn't accept the explanation because it broke their box. It broke their understanding of what was possible. It was outside of their framework so they couldn't see the truth of what was happening. They couldn't see what God was doing right in front of them. So what did they do? They went to their experts. They go to the Pharisees for an explanation. It seemed like a good idea. But were the Pharisees really the right people to go to if they wanted to find truth? The neighbors are asking questions, but were they asking the right questions? 
And were they really legitimately looking for answers? Because they go and seek answers in the places their culture and their systems told them to seek answers. But were they really going to people who were going to help them find truth? Or were they simply going to a group of people who were just going to reinforce what they already believed to be true? Where do we go to find truth? Where do we go to find the answers to the questions that we have? Are we going to the right places and to the right people? Do we go ready to admit that we may not be seeing something clearly? Do we intentionally expose ourselves to different sides of the story in our search for truth? Or do we just talk to and read things that reinforce the things that we already believe? Do do we only talk to people who we know will agree with our opinions? And so the Pharisees, they're a logical bunch. They're all about rules and regulations and keeping the rules. And the problem with their rules and their regulations is the rules and their regulations were keeping them from seeing clearly. In verse 14, it says, Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. So all of a sudden, like, alarm bells are going off in Pharisee world because you don't do anything on the Sabbath except walk yourself to the temple and back home. And so, therefore, the Pharisees have some questions they want to ask. And so they start to ask the man questions. He says, how did you get sight? And the man tells his story again. He says, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. And now here come the rules. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, but hey guys, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So the Pharisees press on with their questions. They turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and they just tear into him like some sort of police investigation. But the problem with their investigation and with their interrogation is that they had already decided what the only permissible outcome of the investigation was going to be. It says in verse 22, the Jewish leaders had already decided. They weren't looking for truth. They were simply looking for a set of facts that supported what they already decided was true. They had framed the entire situation with their rules and their regulations, but their rules and their regulations were flawed, and they were preventing them from seeing the bigger picture. They were preventing them from seeing God's plan and God's purposes and God's presence. They interrogate the man, they interrogate his parents, they interrogate the man again, but their questions are limited based on the predetermined set of outcomes that they were looking for. Verse 24, it says, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. 
He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have already told you, but you didn't listen. Why do you want me to tell you again? Tell us the truth, they said. No, 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 don't bother us with the facts. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth we've already decided is true. Tell us what we want to hear. Don't you dare tell us anything that might disagree with what we've already decided to be true. And they become more and more entrenched in their blindness. You can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't be healed on the Sabbath. He did. You were sinners. Case closed. Get out of here. And this is how we end up with fake news and alternative facts. When we approach situations with a predetermined right answer, when we only look for headlines and news stories that match our views, regardless of how reputable the source is, when we only ask people for their opinion that we already know will agree with us, Or maybe we'll ask that token person for their opinion that might disagree with us as long as we know we can easily discredit them. We seek to prove our arguments logically, even if the premises are flawed. Throw out any facts that may challenge our view. And if none of that works, just resort to personal attacks. Throw them out. They can't discredit him. They can't discredit his story, but because they can't allow their truth to be questioned, they kick him out. He challenges their views, so they kick him out. He challenges their rules, so they kick him out. He's been cast out from religion, but watch. Now he's going to be invited into a relationship. In verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had kicked him out. And so he went and he found him. And he said, do do you believe in the Son of Man? It's the first time the blind man has actually laid eyes on the person who healed him. Christ comes back to the man And he says, now that you've felt my touch, now that you've heard my voice, now that you understand my care and my compassion and my love, do you believe in the Son of Man? Are you ready to see who I really am? Being able to see physically prepared the man for being able to see spiritually. And our friends and our families and our community is just like the blind man. They need to experience Christ before they can see Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we helping them experience Christ? 
As the story unfolds, we see the blind man's growing understanding of Jesus. As his physical healing begins to bring spiritual healing, at first he just says it was the man they called Jesus. Then he moves on and he says, well, he must have been a prophet. And he goes a little further and he says, well, he was from God. That he is Lord. Do you believe? And he says, yes, I believe. And he worships him. The blind man got to a point where he could acknowledge that he was dirty. He could acknowledge that he wasn't seeing things clearly, either physically or spiritually. But the Pharisees, they had no recognition. They weren't willing to have any recognition that there could possibly be anything wrong with how they were seeing things. If we don't acknowledge that we aren't seeing things clearly, if we don't acknowledge that we might not be seeing things clearly, if we don't acknowledge our blindness, then we can't be helped to see and we can't help anyone else to see. Are we open to having our sight made clear? Are we open to the fact that we may need our vision corrected? Are we like the disciples, limiting the possibilities by the questions that we're asking? Are we like the neighbors, just going to people for advice who are going to reinforce what we already believe? Are we like the Pharisees, limiting the possibilities by our predetermined truth? Or are we like the blind man, not able to see our dirt till someone helps us feel it? But once we feel it, we immediately go to get clean. How often do we ask for less than what God wants for us? How often are we nearsighted and not seeing the bigger picture of what God's doing, his purpose, his plan, and his presence. When a single event can trigger multiple stories with headlines that emphasize different elements or interpretations of what occurred, what does it mean for us to see clearly? Are we asking the right questions about the situations that we are confronted with? Let's consider that question as we begin to prepare ourselves to gather around the Lord's table. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who restores sight. A God who wants to help us see things clearly. I thank you that you've given us tools and resources, your word, your scripture, each other, to help us see things clearly. I pray that we would be open to your challenge, that you would give us 
eyes that look at the world, eyes that look at each other, with the compassion of Christ. You would give us eyes that see. In Jesus' name, amen.